All right. So, uh, yeah, great video. My daughter left that for me on Facebook this week, and it was so rich. I just had to use it. And you know, honestly, I mean, we're sitting there, and we do wish. We, there's a piece of all of us that wishes we were a black church. We do. Um, you know what I mean? Like, it's true. We wish we, we wish we could do it. You know what I mean? But as soon as we try to, you know, it just spoils the whole thing. It's just a bunch of white people envious, right? So we can't do it, but boy, we can sure appreciate that. I thought that was awesome. So uh, what that video highlights, though, is something we all know, which is there are a lot, a lot of flavors and styles of church. I mean, you know, you look in the valley here, you see a whole slew of different areas of focus as far as the flavor of the church. That video obviously captures even the racial flavors of the church. And I think when we see the church in that context, it's real easy for us to kind of see that as the, the real defining nature of the church. Uh, in fact, I was talking to somebody recently that was shopping around trying to find a church, and in that conversation, I, I, I found myself uh, thinking that looking for a church today is a lot like going into the candy aisle at the store. Right? Where literally you get there and you have this plethora of options. You have uh, sugary sweet. You have chocolate sweet. You have soft. You have hard. You have sour. Or you have like just crazy gooey, gooey sugary sweet. You have all of this option. And what it comes down to when you're looking at all of that is, well, what does my palate most enjoy? Right? What's my flavor? Because I'm looking for the flavor that I'm going to most delight in, have fun with, my family's going to like. That's why I'm picking this, whatever it is. And I think that's how sometimes we see church. We see it as, well, this church is my flavor. That church isn't my flavor. That's my style. That's not my style. This is what I dig. I don't dig that so much. That one's kind of rigid, and this one's more limber. And we kind of see it that way. And not that that's a bad thing or a wrong thing. I'm not going to even critique that. Because I don't think that's something to critique. I think Jesus is glorified in the diversity of flavors of the church. But what I want us to get to today, and what the topic is today in a lot of ways, is to realize that all of those flavors are, there, are really, in essence, then to derive from a deeper DNA. So while you might go into the candy aisle of church and you're going to see the church that's sweet and sour, yay! Um, you're going to see the church that is chocolatey, sweet and good, yay! You know, you're going to see all of that. It's still all the candy aisle. In other words, there is this unifying DNA that is to be true to all the church. And that unifying DNA, that, that thing that we all hold dear, is rooted in and birthed out of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He is the DNA of the church at large. And, and that's our heart this morning, to understand that idea of the church at large, and then how it plays out in all the flavors of the church. Now in doctrine, we call this ecclesiology. Today we can call it churchiology, uh, because that's a little easier to remember than ecclesiology, but we want to understand how God has designed the church, how Jesus is a part of the church, how the Spirit works in the church, and we're going to start at a level that we call the universal church, right? All those flavors are all connected in this thing known as the universal church. Now, not every flavor is necessarily the universal church. There are some flavors out there that say they're sweet, but they're not sweet. They say they're candy, but they're not candy. 
right? But we're talking about all that are a part of the true church, all a part of the church of Jesus Christ. That is the universal church. And God has a universal church in every nation, under every place uh, under the sky. I mean, he's got a church. Now, some places haven't fully gotten tapped with that church, but that church is all over the place. And that is the universal church. In fact, God, like everybody else at school, uh, has a website for his church. Right? God's really into the interwebbies, and so here's God's website. It is God. Cleansed in the blood of the risen Lord Jesus Christ, kept by the Holy Spirit of power and victory, with fire and signs falling behind a Satan stomping big white horse.org. Right? So, that is God's website for God's church. We just have myredemptionchurch.org. It was short. He went long for a reason. Right? Because the church, universal, the Holy Catholic Church, not the Roman Catholic Church, the Holy Catholic Church, Catholic being universal, is everybody that flies under the banner of Father, Son, and Spirit. In fact, a very simple definition is this. The church is a triunely established fellowship of sinners. Of sinners. Past, present, and future in heaven and on earth who share Jesus as their common Savior, the Holy Spirit as the unifying sanctifier, and God the Father as their eternal sovereign. Right? Go back to the beginning of this entire doctrine series. God is Trinity. Right? Then you go back to the creation stuff we looked at. The Trinity makes. You look at what we looked at with the cross and the resurrection. The, the Trinity saves. And now the Trinity establishes a community of fellowship made up 100% of sinful people who say, I need grace. I need the gospel. I need salvation. That is the church. And it's this thing that Father, Son, and Spirit hold precious and dear. It matters to them. That's why as we start this off, I always want to try to take things as much as I can back to the triune nature of God, Father, Son, and Spirit. To get back that the whole Trinity is involved. Right? And as they're each involved, there's important things in that. There's things that they, they each bring to the table of creation or the gospel or the church. And so even looking at that this morning, I want to look first at God the Father and His triune-type church, this church built out of the Trinity. And when we look at God the Father, we see that the church, as far as God the Father is involved, is His nation. It's the nation of God. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You are the nation of God. This idea of being God's nation is about your loyalty. Right? I mean, you think about being citizens of the United States of America. That means we're loyal. It means we're patriotic. It means this is our culture. It's where we put our roots. And in a very true sense, being a Christian, you're put instantly into the church and that becomes your tribe. That becomes your nation. When you say one nation under God, that's actually the church. That's the one true nation on this planet under God. We're all rallied under Him. It is a nation without borders. It is a nation that is unlike any other nation on the planet. And we are God's nation. 
And so we take that and we take that seriously and we go, man, uh, that's what I want to be about. I want to make sure that the culture that I share in my life is predominantly a culture that this world finds sort of offensive and sort of unexpected and sort of foreign. Because when Jesus rolled in, he says, man, my kingdom is not of this world. And when we bowed our knee to Christ, we said, you know what? I'm letting go of this kingdom. I'm acknowledging your kingdom. I'm bowing my knee to you as my sovereign, as my authority. I pledge my allegiance to you, your kingdom. And we become his nation. Now in that, we share dual citizenship. So we're, you know, we're part of the United States of America. We're citizens here. Maybe you have citizenship in Canada or someplace else, because I know we're a little bit of a melting pot here. But, but still you realize that the trumping nation is always God in our lives. Because we are now as nation. We were not a people, but now we are a people. You go back to Revelation chapter 5. I mean, I love it where it says, because the Lamb was slain, He gathers for Himself a people from every nation, tribe, tongue, to be His nation. The church is the nation of God. We also see, because this is a triune Enterprise that the church is the body of God the Son. It's the nation of God the Father, but is the body of God the Son. Ephesians chapter 1 says, And he, the Father, put all things under his, that's Jesus' feet, and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So if the first was about loyalty, the second one is about our faculty. I mean, just look at what it says there. Um, we are his body. We're, we're not just an illustration of his body. We're not just kind of iconically his body. It just says flat out, we are his body. He is the head. This is our job. So in this very strange sense, in one real way, 2,000 years ago, Jesus was slain, slaughtered, left for dead, thrown in a tomb, dead, dead, buried and gone three days later his body rose and he ascended but in another very real way his body remained and it is his church both are true his physical body rose and ascended but he also says and i have deposited it on earth and everybody who comes to saving faith in me everybody who embraces the gospel is my body too and i am the head And so in the same way that Jesus walked the shores of Galilee and through the streets of Jerusalem and he touched and he loved and he cared and he preached and he did and he connected, he says, so you too likewise do. Because you're my body. You still touch. You still care. You still preach. You still connect. As I did, you do. Because I am in you so you can be like me. So others can come to me through what you do. Right? That's the heart and essence of the body of Christ being the body of the Son. But then also it says in the Bible that we are the temple of God's Spirit. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22, In Him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And, and I love this because I had somebody recently said this to me, and, and I, he was spot on. He says, you know what, uh, on Sunday mornings we, we, we say a lot of really important things, theological things, uh, you know, things that are designed to motivate, but, but we could do a better job of always injecting how it takes the Holy Spirit to do that. 
And I agreed, man, you're right. In fact, it was really from that conversation even that I find myself now every morning, honestly, this is no exaggeration, as soon as I'm consciously alert, my first prayer is, good morning, Holy Spirit, what is it you want to do in me and through me today because I need you. I need you. Because it's really easy for me to not do it in the Spirit. It's really easy for me to say, hey man, if I'm just smart enough and tenacious enough and focused enough and determined enough and I see the priority enough, I'm going to do it. And so it's all Matt strength. He Matt, right? Not going to work. It's not going to work. I'm going to run out. I can maybe get it done, but I don't do it with the disposition of the Spirit. I may get things accomplished, but God may not be glorified. See, that's why the Holy Spirit is so rich to the church and why we become, when we are gathered, a temple. We become sacred space. We become empowered space. We become the space where God speaks to us and we bring worship to God. That's what a temple does. And if it's in the Spirit, that means, man, we have this power that energizes us for God. And if it's in the Spirit, it means we have this communication between us and God that that the Spirit really works out. And if it's in the Spirit, we have a unity for God. Because, again, it's the Spirit that unifies the church. We need the Holy Spirit to unify the church because we are a bunch of jacked-up people. We are, man. I mean, it's like, you think, I mean, we got, I don't know how many, you know, a couple hundred people in this room right now. And we all have our own little ticks and issues and differences and thoughts and everything else. I mean, you know, this is like a veritable powder keg without the Holy Spirit. All right? Uh, the Holy Spirit brings the unity. And the more we're yielded to the Spirit, the more He brings unity in all of that diversity. Because what He ultimately does in the church, He doesn't give us all the same mind as far as uh, opinions. But He gives us the same mind as far as dispositions. Right? You're going to like blue, and I like green, and you're going to like Chinese, and I'm going to like Mexican, and you're going to think one thing about how culture should be, and I'm going to think something else. And again, opinions aren't going to change. But, but what the Spirit does do is He takes those opinions and He bathes them in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, you know, all that fruit of the Spirit stuff. That's what He does. He takes all of our diversity and says, you know what? Uh, that's good, but you know what's great? Uh, the gospel's great. You know what's great? How the church is the hope of the world. That's great. You know what's really great? When the world can see that you are his disciples because you love one another. That's what's great. See, often I find in my own life uh, where I get friction with people is because I'm not saying, Holy Spirit, uh, bathe all of my stuff right now in your fruit. Now I just kind of go off on my stuff. Right? And I miss the big idea for all my little ideas that, frankly, are a lot of times generated by my own pride and my sense of, I'm just smarter than that other person. Right? And what the Holy Spirit says, no, no, I, there's a bigger idea. It's a bigger picture. It's bigger than your opinions. It's bigger than your, your tastes. It's life-changing, sin-crushing, Satan-stomping difference if we're in the Spirit. And so the Father works, the Son works, the Spirit works to create this powerful, beautiful, unstoppable force that we get to be a part of. That we get to benefit from and be a benefit to. Because what really the church is about is what we go back to the very beginning when we looked at God is Trinity. 
God is Trinity, which was a perfect community of oneness, perfect love, perfect friendship, perfect bond. And then they said the Son's going to go and they're going to bring us into that community. We don't become the Trinity, but we are then brought into the community of the Trinity. And that really is the church. We are a part of now God's triune community. To love what he loves, to seek what he seeks, to honor what he honors, and to celebrate him for all of it. That is the church. A community in God's community of oneness. Father, Son, and Spirit. Now with that, one of the things I always like to highlight, because again, I think sometimes as Christians, we have a little bit of a schizophrenia even with the Trinity, right? Like even when we pray, Father God, in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, hopefully nobody's offended, I got you all right now. You know, like, like that. Yeah, I want to make sure I covered on my bases. I say Father five times and Son five times and Spirit. Okay, everybody's good. All right. Um, you know, like we, we get that way. And, and I'm hoping through the series even, you're beginning to see the functional subordination of Father, Son, and Spirit. They're all playing roles. Right? It's one God. It's not three gods. We're not Mormons. It's one God. Right? I don't say that flippantly. I'm telling you. Mormons believe in three gods. We believe in one God. Three persons. Each person plays roles. And when it comes to the church, there is a very unique relationship between Jesus and the church. Right? So Father's involved in the church. Spirit's involved in the church. Profound, bold, important. But the Son has this very unique relationship, unlike Father and Spirit. All right, and, and here's where you start to see it unpack in Ephesians chapter 5. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Here's the difference. The Holy Spirit didn't in any capacity change, alter, or remove His office to do what He does for the church. In the same way, Father God did not leave His throne, did not alter, change, or in any way just make an amendment to what He does as Father for the sake of the church. But it was Jesus who in that perfect community of oneness said, I will go, send me. It was Jesus in that perfect community of oneness that according to Philippians chapter 2 said, I will make myself nothing. Though being in the equal form of God, like Spirit, like Father, I will make myself nothing. I will empty myself and become a slave. And I will go. And so he goes. And in this, the being of Jesus, his ontological being, right? The very essence of Jesus, second person of the Trinity. His essence did not change. But, right, and this is where you're going to like, how are we splitting hairs? Let's see if we can do our best. Uh, his essence didn't change. But his nature did go through a shift. Right? His nature went through a shift because then he says, all right, I'm going to go from the way I've been with Father and Spirit, which is Spirit, and I'm going to take on a body, and I'm never going to discard that body again. I'm going to take on this other part of nature to my oneness of being, and I'm going to go in that body, and I'm going to serve, and I'm going to live, and I'm going to be slaughtered, and I'm going to die, and I'm going to be buried, and I'm going to rise, and as I rise, I will carry those wounds for eternity. I will be their mediator for eternity. I will be the one slain for them to have this relationship within the full Trinity because of what I chose to do. Uh, what's unique about Jesus, he is the member of the Trinity that says, I will pay the hell. 
You guys just pour out the hell. I will become the engorged receptacle of all of their sin. And you won't experience what that's like. Father and Spirit have never known what it's like to be dislodged from the relationship. But the Son said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's the only member of the Trinity ever to be dislodged for a small season, but for an eternal payment for the church. For us in this room, us sinful band of people that acknowledge Jesus as Savior. Where he took every one of our things to be Savior. To be the Lamb of God who takes away every one of our offenses. And here's the crazy thing. We're going to come out of here today and we're going to say, wow, Jesus is just that amazing. And by tonight, we're going to throw some more stuff on his cross. Right? He's so incredible, but we're still going to lose our temper. We're still going to have a nasty thought. We're still going to get mad about something. We're still going to be discontent. We're still not going to have faith. But he's faithful to us. Takes our sin. Right? And that is the unique relationship of Jesus to his church. So when we as a church say, it's all about Jesus, you know, and people will say, well, what about the Father and what about the Spirit? We're like, man, we, we are Trinitarian all the way. Hopefully this series shows we are Trinitarian. But we acknowledge that there is something very, very special about Jesus and his relationship to his church. And he gave himself what? What's it say there? So that he might present the church to himself. We're his uniquely is which is why he did what he did and so man father son and spirit totally the churches jesus uniquely the churches is right but they're all involved in it all matters and what this kind of tells me then is when it comes to the church something for us to embrace it's for and about god more than us the church is for and about god Far more than us. I mean, 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15 says, I hope to come to you soon and I am writing these things so that you know that if I delay, you'll know how you ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. Go back to 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 that we read earlier, right? Chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. Right? That's, that's what it's about. We say, well, church is like my family. Well, yeah, but it's actually his family that we're a part of. But it's his family. And when we come together uh, at church, uh, we need to say, it's not about me. I'm not here for me. This isn't about whether it makes me feel good or doesn't make me feel good or I like it or I didn't like it or I approve or I disapprove. The issue is, does he approve or does he disapprove? Right? We comply and comport with his desires, because it's his church. It's his. Our filter should be less, is it the flavor I like? It's fine if you pick a church for flavor. It's no problem. But in that, you, you should really look and say, and does that flavor make much of him? Is it for him? Could you clearly, at the end of a church service, go, that church made sure above all else to say, God is God, I am not, there is sin, there is a cross, he solved it, so I can know him, worship and love him, and, and obey him. I mean, if that's true, man, that's solid. Even if the dude does this, right? So, or, right? So, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. That part doesn't matter as long as Man, those, those core values of it's for him, for his excellency, that that would matter. 
See, and, and I do say that because, again, in kind of the uh, candy aisle of Christianity right now, there, there are so many flavors. And, and some flavors, th- th- it's very clear what the flavor is. We're here to give you good advice. Right? Good advice. And our whole thing is, man, you know what? Good advice is in the Bible. I'm not saying that. But it needs to flow and emanate from good news. Right? Good news is uh, God has done this for you so you don't have to do. Done. It is finished. That's good news. And if there's this aversion to sin, repentance, cross, gospel, uh, and it's just, here's how seven pointers to a better marriage and six pointers to being out of debt and three pointers to raising good kids, and you don't hear, oh, and by the way, for the seven, the three, the twelve, the whatever points, you need the gospel, you need the Holy Spirit, and you want to have good kids and a good marriage and good finances for the glory of God, but it's just about you having a more comfortable life. Man, that's just good advice. Dr. Phil does it better. Right? Doctor, I mean, go, I love Dr. Phil, man. He's a handsome, bald man, and I'm joining him. So, um, but that's good advice. But the church is about proclaiming good news. Right? That's the heart. It's not just about personal betterment. It's about God exaltation. And hopefully, any personal betterment we desire, it's to give God glory. Not just make my life simpler or smoother. Right? So the church really isn't all about us. And I, it, like I said, I hide that, highlight that a little bit just because it's really, really easy to make it about us. I, I mean, I do this. You know, I'm like a pastor and a leader in a church, and I still sometimes kind of look at, well, is it doing what I want it to do for me? It's not healthy. In fact, even when we were starting Redemption Church, we talked about the name. And you know what? I mean, there, you know, it's like all the other stuff that people would think could be the incendiary thing. No, it's always like the name, you know, paint color, carpet, just dumb things, right? So we were like, oh man, what do we name it? And we were all over the map, you know, it should be this, it should be that. And you're running through like the process of what's the criteria? What are you trying to say to your community? And originally we, we thought we were going to be named uh, Real Life Church, Right? And, and, and we thought, because, you know, we want to tell people, hey, man, real life is in Jesus, and, and it's all about how Jesus intersects with our real life, and we want to make it about, you know, kind of that daily affairs of faith and everything else. And we had this conversation, and then there was this shift where, like, but, but does that communicate a church that's more about you, or is it communicating more about just the name, real life church? Oh, I get to have real life. It's about, be, you know, we're just like, maybe it sounds more about us. So it was really with that heart that we said, well, how can we have a name that makes much of him, not makes much of us, much of him? So, so actually, for a little while, there we talked about his church, which, you know, that rolls off the tongue well. Um, and all the people are like, really? His church? Like, that's cheesy. Uh, Jesus' church. Now we sound culty. Um, you know, so, yeah, it was like we were all over, the, but, but finally we landed on Redemption Church because it makes much of him. Makes much of him. He's a redeemer. He brings redemption. That's what we need. Communicate to the gospel. That's the heart of the church because it is more about him than it is about us. And it should always be that way. And it's easy, especially as, as a pastor in today's climate, to, to say, no, 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 we, we want to grow. We want to get big. So what we need to do is, is start doing these kinds of things. Now, man, we do want to grow. We want to get big, but we want to get big because it's gospel. We want to get big because people are actually converted to Christ. And it isn't just like, wow, church is awesome because it's fun and it's funny and it's insightful. And, you know, it's like the quote we even had uh, recently about you, you could have a church that has everybody involved 
where Christ isn't preached. You know, and we don't want that. And that's sometimes the, the concern or the fear in the modern climate. And so we want to always get back to, it's about him. That's the heart of the church universal. Now, with this universal church, that plays out in a context like Redemption Church or at Adventure or at Stillwater or, you know, any local church in the area that you know of. That expresses locally. And so we go from the church universal, this big idea, Father, Son, and Spirit, purchased by Jesus uniquely, we move into that local expression. And the question there that we have to face is, what constitutes an actual local expression of the church at large? Right? I mean, because think about just things recently. So, we had the shootout this weekend. Does 50 guys out in the desert, where Jesus is a part of the topic, does that constitute a church? Because 50 dudes were together with Jesus. Well, that would be a cool church, right? Glock Community Church. You know, I mean, that would be, you know, like, you know, Jesus is on a white horse and he's packing. You know what I mean? Like, that's our, it's all about Jesus. Riding with a shotgun. Um, you know, like, could have that, right? But is that, is that a church? Or if five women get together at Match, is it Match Community Fellowship? If you're, you know, like, talking about Jesus and now you have a church. Or if, like, 12 kids go down to Red Pepper Pizza, is it Red Pepper Pentecostal, Youth of Christ? You know, like, you know, is that, does that become a church? Because Christians are together and Jesus is the theme. Uh, well, no. In the New Testament, there are very particular uh, parameters for a local church. And so we've come up with a definition uh, within our paperwork around here to, to give you a sense of how we see this in the big picture. And it's a long definition as far as reading it. Uh, I'll probably take three breaths and pass out, but here we go. So a local church is a group of people who are chosen in God the Father, regenerate in the Holy Spirit, and redeemed in God the Son, Jesus Christ, whom they confess as Lord. That goes into what we talked about earlier, Trinity. It says, in obedience to the scriptures, they organize. People say, I don't like organized religion. I'm like, yeah, but have you ever seen disorganized? That's insane. All right? So, take that for a spin and you'll be begging for organized religion when you're done. All right? Uh, so, in obedience to the scriptures, they organize under qualified leadership. People think leadership isn't a big topic in the New Testament. It is huge. It covers tons of chapters. It's an amazingly important thing. So they go under uh, qualified leadership organizationally, gathering regularly for worship and preaching. Some people say, is preaching outdated? No. Is worship archaic? No. It's important. Also, observing the biblical sacraments of baptism and communion. We're Protestant, we keep it to two. If you're Catholic, you know seven, and you probably don't even remember them all right now. All right, so, uh, that's if you're a good Catholic. Okay, so, under the unity of the gospel, we join under the unity of the gospel, not under the unity of morality, not under the unity of law. Unfortunately, oftentimes, we as local churches are known more for our morals and more for our legalism, but we should be known for the gospel. That should be the offense. The most offensive thing a church does in town is it preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ in his cross. That should be our most offensive thing. Right? So, we gather under the unity of the gospel in the power of grace. Grace is the one great distinguishing mark of Christianity from all other religions. It should be the thing we're most noted for. We do this for the purpose of true godliness. Not just goodness, but for the purpose of true godliness. 
so as to scatter into the world with the commission and commandment that Jesus left to his missionary church. The commandment was, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. The commission is, go and make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I taught you and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, because again, it is a Trinity church. We do this for his glory, and in that, we have joy. Right? That, that, that right there captures kind of the, the benchmarks of a local church. So if you go, well, I'm a part of a local church, but we don't have uh, leadership that is qualified. I'd say, hey, you got a great Bible study. you got a great fellowship. You, you probably should organize that into a church. Or uh, we, we have leadership, but we don't actually baptize or take communion. I'd be like, well, then you need to get to that. You know, we like to hang out with elders and we have communion and we have baptism, but we don't ever worship or preach. I'm like, I don't even know what that is. That's, that's called called Monday Night Football is what that's called. All right, so, um, and it's Doritos and Pepsi. You can't call that communion, all right? So, uh, just for the record, all right? So, those are your hallmarks, all right? And you got the verses under there that kind of point in that direction. But that's the local expression of the church, and that makes a church. It's from that composite, that makeup, that then you have the calling of the church that's executed. And the calling kind of breaks down a couple of ways. I'm going to talk real quick about kind of the uh, ethos of the church. And then we'll get into the logos of the church. Those are kind of two different things. The ethos, though, when it comes to the calling of the church, is first of all, the church is to be pure. The church is to be pure. Now, uh, again, the whole idea of the church, literally, the, the word that's used in the New Testament to describe the church, means those called out. Right? The idea of holiness is to be set apart, uncommon, made different for a distinct purpose that is literally the opposite of what it had been before. So in that sense, the church, we're called out of darkness and into light. We go from a kingdom of death to a kingdom of living again in Christ. We go from eternal death to eternal life, right? All these things are distinctionary of the church being pure. And so purity has a number of things. Part of the purity is saying no to bad doctrine. It's saying yes to good doctrine. Now, there are some doctrines that are just gray. You know, tongues, no tongues. That's gray. Bought a Honda, should have bought a Yamaha, or you don't know what I just said. It doesn't matter, right? It's gray. You know, God chose us. We chose God. You're all cute, whatever. You know, like, some things just aren't major. But there are major things, right? Trinity's major. Gospel's major, right? Church issues are major, some of them. So we want to make sure we pursue good doctrine. We ditch bad doctrine. Or maybe we should say right and wrong. Those would be better words. That's purity. Purity is about passion for God, not just, you know, submitting to rules. You know, God is not terribly excited about a group of people that just submit to rules. Read Isaiah 1 and you'll see he's not excited about that. Read Matthew 15, you'll see he's not excited about that. Read Matthew 23, he starts calling them names. I mean, like, awesomely. Like, I wish I could say that. You know, like, like awesome names. Because he's not into his rule keepers. He wants passion from his church. And, of course, it promotes the gospel of God as well. So those are the ideas of a pure church. And all those things need to be important. It was interesting. We went on a church tour here back in early July. The pastors did over in Spokane. And one of the churches we went to, largest church in Spokane, and uh, they were gracious enough to let us sit down with their leadership and everything else. And, and we were talking about, you know, some of the changes they've made as a church over the years. And, 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 and I think it even highlights kind of the, the priority structure. And so, again, reaching people for Christ like crazy. 
right? But they would even say, man, we didn't make much of doctrine. We didn't really teach biblical literacy. And, and they said, that's where we made a real big mistake. And so we had people that loved coming to church because they were all excited about the music and the preaching was funny and all that stuff. And he goes, and, and then they would leave and they were still living with each other and they're still having affairs and they're still doing all of this. And they didn't even realize the Bible had the answers and the direction for their lives. And he says, because really, we just never imparted that. Um, and so now they're playing kind of the rapid makeup. How do we give biblical literacy and help our people to understand that God has something for their life to be pure, not just to come to church? Because the church is to be pure. Another part of the ethos of the church, it is to be unified. Unified. It's to have theological unity, relational unity, philosophical unity, missional unity. I mean, these are just things that a church should have. This comes back to flavor. I always encourage people, if they're checking us out, they'll say, hey, this is our first Sunday. We want to become members. I'm like, you may not in about six weeks, right? Because in six weeks, I'm going to maybe say something. You're like, oh, should a pastor say that, right? And uh, it depends. Presbyterian, no, all right? Um, Pentecostal, maybe, you know, who knows? Yeah, but uh, there'll be something. So you hang around for a while, and what you do is you go, oh man, can I fit into the unity of this place? Because this place has a certain flavor, a tone. It approaches certain theological issues from a certain bent. Uh, We're not going to be some things. We are going to be other things. Uh, It's just the reality. And so, again, churches are to be, as a local church, unified. Now, that unity comes in different flavors again. Under the big idea of coming under Jesus as his true church, there's little different sub-pockets, and those sub-pockets should be unified. That is the calling of the church to be unified in the Spirit. And then, of course, a church is to live empowered. Empowered. And, and that's a, a big thing, because sometimes I'll hear people, especially uh, I hear religious figures in the United States, evangelical figures, that are talking about how, man, the church is losing ground and the culture is falling apart and all this stuff. And I honestly, I hear that and it frustrates me every time because I'm like, have you read the New Testament? Right? Jesus says to the church, man, I, I'm going to build this thing on a rock and the gates of hell can't prevail. Man, you are a gate-crushing entity. And we go, oh, the culture's taking us over. I'm like, put on your big boy pants, man. Let's go. We need to go. Instead of sitting back and complaining, we need to go. Right? Paul said the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Right? It's power. Oh, man, I can be like, I just want to tell you a little bit about Jesus. And I have no skill whatsoever. And it's still power. Because he is doing it, his spirit's doing it. And then he says, man, I have, I have suited you up, man. You are fully armed and operational. You are. Right? You're more than a conqueror, it says in Romans. You have everything for life and godliness, it says in First Peter. It says you've got a helmet and a breastplate and a sword, and you've got some wicked cool boots, man. I mean, you, you have everything. We have weapons that can tear down strongholds, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I mean, it's like, you are 10. You got everything. So, so we need to stop bellyaching about how it's all overdone, gone. The great revivals are behind us. It's just death and decay. Oh, it's over, man. It's over. Don't do that. We don't need aliens to repeat in the church, all right? We don't need that. What we need is to live in power. That is the ethos of the church, it's our calling. Right? Not defeated, but more than conquerors. 
That's what it's to be about. And so then underneath this, in the calling of the church, kind of the, the logos or the logos, depending on who you listen to, um, there's four things that are important. The first is this, glorifying God in worship. Even as a church, these are the four things we die for when we talk in leadership, what we're built on. The first is glorifying God in worship. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and spiritual songs, th- making thankfulness in your hearts to God. Right? And I want you to, if you've got a Bible with you and you can highlight and underline and do other kind of, just put to God, put a line, put a circle. Because again, I go back to, you may say, I don't like that style of worship. That's fine. That's your flavor issue. But the issue is, does God like it? It's not my thing. It's fine. It's not your thing. But is it God's thing? Does God delight in it? Because I guarantee you, if God would delight, because they're, you know, I mean, honestly, like, I mean, I, Scott says the only real taste I have is in my mouth, but, um, which isn't very nice, but, um, I feel like I have some taste in music, and, uh, and uh, I know, they're going to judge you now, and never trust my approval of anything ever again. All right, so, um, no, but, you know, it's like, you know, I, I have opinions on music and taste in music, and there'll be some things that, uh, Ryan's gone, so I can talk about him, so, um, that, uh, that Ryan does, and I'll be like, man, that's not my thing. That's not my thing. It's hard for me to get excited about that. But then I look and I go, but is that something that God gets excited about? I mean, it, you know, like just the content of that. Is he excited about that? And then, am I kind of ripping God off because God goes, man, I was really excited about that until I saw you not so excited about that. Now I'm kind of bumming. It's like happy birthday where it was like, happy birthday. Where's it going? Happy birthday. Yeah, I mean, it's like, so sometimes it's just really about our heart and our attitude that we approach this and say, man, it's not about me, but it is about him. Maybe it's not my flavor, but boy, it sure is his exaltation. And so I want to glorify God, right? Because the church is designed to glorify God in worship. The next thing, the calling of the church is reaching people with the gospel. Second Corinthians 5.20, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We're ambassadors. And, and, and here's the thing about this that I always want to really encourage. Make sure that you always remember that you bring the one thing nobody else will bring to the world. You bring the one thing. You bring the good news. You, you bring the ultimate solution. Right? I think it's important that we engage in humanitarianism and education and food relief and all of that. I think it's very important. It should come from Christians. But there's a thousand other organizations that agree with you. Right? Some of which don't give a rip about Jesus. They don't care, but they want to help with education. They want to help with food. And they want to help with relief. And they want to do all the good things. They want to bring moral reform to our world. That's awesome. But you're the only group that can close the circle. There's this one critical gap, which is if we just make utopia on this planet, it dies, wakes up in hell. Right? So it was good for what? Just made a good world to end in a bad reality for eternity. So we are to reach people with the gospel. That is the calling of the church. Third thing, we are to establish believers as church. Right? Ephesians chapter 4 says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. You're the players. Pastors and elders are coaches. We're coach players. We get to play too. But, but everybody here is the players. 
Everybody here is a theologian. Everybody here is a missionary, right? We bring that to the world. The only way the world's going to know about God and his gospel is going to be us going out. And so we want to establish and equip us in here while we're together, regroups, all of that, so we can go and be a part of that business. And then last, multiplying churches is important because it's for the kingdom. The calling of the church is to multiply churches, right? The church is the overt expression of the covert kingdom, right? People don't realize that Jesus has already set up his kingdom. The only way they see this echo of the kingdom is the church. That's the visible expression of what Jesus is up to and what's unfolding. And so the reason we want to see churches multiplied and expanded globally is so that people go, oh man, I'm seeing more and more, hearing about more and more this kingdom that exists, this kingdom that will come to full consummation uh, in this king known as Christ. And so we advance, promote, encourage, desire, pray for, and seek to train those who will go and multiply churches. Paul never went anywhere and said, I'm just here to do a revival, man. Never. He wasn't like, nah, I pitched the tent, everybody came, 500 people accepted Christ, I'm walking. No, his whole thing was, we do this for the church. You look at what he says in Colossians 1, he says, I do this for the sake of the church. So church was important to Paul. And so it's important to us. And that leads to the Christians of the church really fast here. The Christians of the church, here's what we do. We participate in. We participate in. Everybody who is a Christian should participate in the local church. They should at some level. You've got to do what God wants you to do. But you should participate in. Time, talents, treasures, participate. You are, sounds bad, you're a body part. That didn't sound right. Um, but, you know, some are butts. That's true. But, um, no. Bad pastor. Okay, so... Dayquil, Nightquil, intersection. All right. Um, it's awesome to have an excuse uh, right there in your back pocket. All right. So participate in. It's true. But the other thing is that you receive from. As much as you give, you get. Right? It builds you up. Means of grace. Means of grace are things like hearing the word, baptism, communion, people pouring their gifts into you. All of those are means of grace. Another thing for the Christians of the church, realize that what you do in your life does affect the church at large, especially what you do in areas of sin. It affects the church. Just as much as, uh, like right now, uh, my nose is running, my head pounds, that affects everything. This one little area in my body is affecting everything. Right? So, churches could be healthier, stronger, and God may actually even open up revival more if the churches are personally, secretly, privately healthy. And if they're privately, secretly unhealthy, he may go, man, I just don't want that to blow up. So I keep it kind of where it's at. So our purity does affect the whole. And of course, as individuals, we share with the world around us. I keep saying that, but that's the mission of the church. Church isn't just about Christians hanging out together behind closed doors and calling it good. No, we go, we share. So our expression, Redemption Church, where it's all about Jesus... Man, we understand our flavor. We are a group of imperfect people redeemed by a perfect God. We, we're not even trying to pretend we have it figured out. We don't. I'm all jacked up right now. I know I don't have it figured out, right? So, we don't have it figured out. But we're growing as missional theologians for the glory of God, by the grace of God, for the good of our city. We know that this is what we care about. Right? Those are, those are important to us. As a church, we strive to connect through groups, regroups, and, and there's this thing, the city. We put it up there really so maybe you get on board with the city. I know a lot of people have not gotten on board with it yet. This is just the mechanism we're using more to network people. So we encourage you to do that. And if you become into redemption for a while and you've not plugged into a regroup, we want to really encourage you to do that. In fact, uh, even today, out in the, in the commons, 
uh, we're selling this book right here called Not a Fan. And this is actually a study we're going to do for the next nine weeks in a whole bunch of different regroups. And so if you've never plugged into a regroup, this is a great opportunity for you to do it. Um, again, and this is a great book for you to do it with. It's not a hard read. It's a really easy read, but it's a real tough uh, investigation of one's old, own self and soul. Um, because it's asking the question, are you just a fan of Jesus or are you a follower? Right? Are you a fan or a follower? And um, so this is going to be a nine-week study. Maybe you go, man, I can't commit long-term. Well, just commit for nine weeks. Just do the study in a regroup. And at the end of that study, you can bounce, you can stay, you can do whatever. Uh, but get involved. If you have not connected in some venue, get involved. Lots of groups are doing it. So after the service, you can go out there. We, we're, we're selling the books, and uh, we've kind of written a supplemental question guide for the book. And the great thing about this is if you went to Amazon, which is probably the cheapest place you could find this book, it's like 10 bucks. We're selling the book and the workbook and all of that for less than you can get it on Amazon. It's like Amazon's like 10 something. We got them for less than that. And with the workbook that we printed, uh, everything for 10 bucks or the workbook for two bucks. Again, we're not making any, you know, it's not designed to, you know, like, hey, cash cow and money changers in the temple. That's bad. All right. Um, this is, it's really designed to unify and to make us think a little bit. All right. So, uh, man, really think about that, but connect, right? Church is about connection. We encourage you to connect. And then as a church, we realize we're always seeking to emphasize worship, gospel, church, and kingdom. Those are just the grid we work through, right? All the time as a staff, we're constantly saying, how is that kingdom related? How is that worship related? How is that church related? How is that mission related or gospel, right? We just want to know. We want to make sure we're fulfilling those four things. And for you, as we close right now in prayer, it's you realizing, you as an individual, that you are Redemption Church. Right? Your faith isn't just yours. Jesus didn't just save you to be you and Jesus in a relationship. He saved you to his church. You are his church. We collectively make his church. And especially a church without walls, right? All the more, we are his church and you are his church. And so know what he has for you. Know what he has for us. To advance his gospel. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you for, again, your word. Thank you for your church. Thank you for your wisdom. We love you, need you, thank you, and praise you in your awesome name. Amen.